I felt the wind of its passage. And I knew what it was because I also heard its hooves. I thought I was going to die. This is Chapel Belker, a podcast about football and feelings. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And I'm Yara. And today we're here to review what was a smashing success in the 2023 edition of the world's largest cocktail party, the 42 to 20 demolishing of the Saurians from down south by our beloved Georgia Bulldogs. We are going to cover this review episode as we do all of our episodes from the qualitative and quantitative standpoint. Today, our qualitative segment will include stories about the game from us, our experiences, and just general around-the-league news that we think is interesting or pertinent to UGA. In our quantitative standpoint, we'll be sussing out some stats from you from our wide selection. We'll be giving our game notes about what we thought about the game, and we'll probably be dunking on Florida a lot. If you'd like to see the notes of where we've collected all of these nuggets of natural treasure knowledge... You can do what, Yara? Great question. You can come to our Patreon. For as little as $1 a month, you can come listen to us live, coming out in an amazing community of like-minded college football fans, and a whole lot more. Um, Patreon.com forward slash Chapel Bell Curve. You can also increase your subscription. Um, $3 a month gets you access to our unedited show feed, and $5 a month gets you access to our show notes, which have lots of fun pictures in them. And yeah, it's and you true. can do even more than that if you fuck with us like that, which, thanks. All right, that's it. <laughs> so, let's talk about this game. This messy, messy, not a messy game, actually. I was about to say this messy, messy game, but um, it was only messy for one of these sides. And so, do we have some sort of newsy stuff to sort of like set the stage for us? What did we hear after this game? So, I, co- I, I combed through the copious post-game notes from various sources and i watched both of the post-game press conferences for you which you should not watch them because billy napier and kirby smart come from the nick saban school of say nothing in their post-game press conferences so it was a wasted five minutes but there were a couple of ones that i thought were good they were talking to billy napier about his decision to pass the ball on fourth and inches and whether or not that said that he basically thought that his team couldn't get you know a half yard run against Georgia's defensive front. And his response was, it was a little less than a full yard. It wasn't fourth and inches, which to me is the biggest cop out possible because they said, Hey, why did you make this play call? Why did you throw it against this team instead of running it? Do you think you couldn't get the inches that were required? And he said, Oh, it was a little less than a yard. Hey, listen here. You five o'clock shadow of a man Inches are what goes into yards. Less than ha- less than a yard can still be measured in inches. I I don't know why this is so. It, a yard is thirty six inches, dipshit. So if you can count any number between zero and thirty six, you can figure out that it's inches. God, that dude looks like the before ad for an all in one men's shaver that you buy for your like divorced dad. Because you don't know what I to do get him on Father's like, Day. Before I learned what it was to like, um, like treat yourself to go to a salon, 
I used to go to Great Clips growing up, and there's nothing wrong with Great Clips by any means. That's not what I'm saying. No. I'm just saying that I really enjoy the experience of going to the salon now. It's very nice for someone to rub my head and to tell me all about the science of hair. But mm-hmm. I feel like Billy Napier is the kind of guy that if you were to get your hair cut at Great Clips and you, you're sitting there between like the you know like the the sails that they put in between each of the chairs and you look up at the the various photos of people on the wall above the mirror you would see billy napier he'd be up there yeah he's just one of the models they're like i I want that one they're like oh the billy yes i would define billy napier and i don't know why i think this i think billy napier is like a bozeman montana 10 you know what i'm saying (laughs) like if you take him to somewhere that roughnecks work shreveport louisiana bozeman montana some parts of Myrtle Beach, he just fucking slays, mm-hmm. right? But yeah, he clean up. Yeah, he he's sort of rugged, but in a way where he also sort of looks like a sentient potato, which is fine. <laughs> I mean, I look like a refrigerator box come to life and gained a weight. So, like, you know, who am I to judge? <laughs> That's fair. Anyway, call Nathan. I only have the one quote that I thought was interesting from Kirby Smart because I guess because we're in the crunch time of the season, Kirby Smart decided that I will use as many words as possible to say nothing in this press conference because that's what he did. But I did think there was something that was interesting that he said when he was Mm -hmm. asked about Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers, they took up a travel roster spot, which are limited in on neutral site and away games to be with the team as a leader. And when they asked him about that, he said, he's great. He's the spirit of this team. This guy has been in every meeting. He was in the punt walk through today. He goes to everything. He's front and center on time, ready to go. And still he gets all his rehab done. That's just the kind of kid he is. And everybody looks, looks to him. We've had other guys get that injury and they disappear for weeks. They come back. He hasn't missed anything. He loves football and he loves this team. So, I don't put much stock in Coach Pablum about leadership. I think leadership is a real thing, and I think culture is a real thing. I just don't think that coaches ever say anything publicly that is authentic about either one of those topics, or rarely do. But I think that this is a reflection of what Brock Bowers means to this team, and I think that's really important to acknowledge and honor that perhaps the best player on the team, I mean, undoubtedly the best player on the team, is also the player that shows up to everything even when he's hurt and can't participate. I also think that it shows you something about his mindset going forward. I would not be concerned that this guy is going to opt out and wait for the NFL. I think he, if he can, is going to come back. I think that's pretty fucking clear at this point. So good for him. We raise up our good boy baby Bronk, Napa Valley Bronk, <laughs> to to greatness. And we give him our power and our ligaments and our ankles in obeisance to him anyway justin why don't you take us around the league you have some notes about games that happened outside of the cocktail party that you think were funny or interesting yes 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 what a good weekend for football you guys just let me let me start that by saying this has been a great weekend for football and i'm very excited about the next four weeks of football as well because it really feels like at this point in the season, like a, a lot of fun things are happening at this point. And I don't just mean like crazy losses or upsets, but I think that all around the league, Georgia included, like the rest of the season is just going to be a good time. And I'm going to knock on wood right now because good time could be, you know, that that feels like it's a, a monkey's paw situation that could be misconstrued as something that it's not. But um, some teams that were really fun to watch this weekend, Kansas and Oklahoma. I got to say, I... 
I think that Yara, you said this this weekend that like the Midwest means nothing to you. It's just a nebulous place that is is nothing, correct? Um, kind of. I mean, I'm from the. I'm like, I don't know if Chicago's part yeah. of the Midwest. I but would like, not. The, you're the from states Chicago. States are yeah. just a blob. Like, I can't mm-hmm. identify the states, which is definitely a me geography thing. But yes, continue. That's okay. Uh, but all that to say, like, I. I do mess with some of these teams in the Midwest because the like the Big Ten may it rest in peace after this year uh, because it'll change dramatically just as all of the the leagues uh, the conferences will. Um, I just really love watching Big Ten football, and I am so blessed that I was not you know born in one of these states and told not no offense Yara, <laughs> but I'm taking like. <laughs> I don't even know what you're going to say. I'm just none taken. I'm just going to say I'm I'm so blessed that I am not I was not born into one of these fandoms is all I'm saying. Like so thankful that this is not my life and that I get to be a Georgia fan. Um but it is a lot of fun to watch these teams and a lot of fun to watch these games um for various reasons. Like this Oklahoma Kansas game. What a messy time. I really love these Jayhawks. I've been watching them since <laughs> they've come back from their uh their zero win season not too long ago and they're they're playing well they're actually playing well and they they squeaked it out to beat oklahoma i believe it was they beat oklahoma for the first time in a little over like 16 years at home is that i think that was correct something along those lines but past that like this this was a messy game let me tell you (laughs) like the oklahoma and kansas city or not kansas city excuse me kansas teams they were both zero percentile defensive run stuff rate um Past that, like, third down success rate, neither team did all that well. Both of them below uh, a third of the time actually having success on third downs. Um, Kansas, who did win, 36% success rate. EPA per dropback, both these teams. Uh, Oklahoma was negative 0.08, and Kansas was negative 0.14. So every time they dropped back, they were losing points. Um, every time they were rushing, they were making some points. But if you... <laughs> One of my favorite parts about this EPA situation is that for Oklahoma, their EPA per rush was 0.07. Their EPA per dropback, negative 0.08. So no matter what they chose, they were losing 0.0, like a tenth of a point every time they snapped the ball at this point. And so just my how the mighty have fallen is how I feel about it. You know, Oklahoma's having some transitions. They're figuring stuff out. But I appreciate that Kansas is able to actually kind of enjoy themselves. Did you guys get to see any of this game? I watched the 15-minute recap on it, and I found it okay. to be delightful, personally. Absolutely delightful. And it was a back-and-forth game, too. Like, it, it did not stay in any one one team's favor. Um, Kansas was predicted to win early in the game as well, but they came back in the third and then really uh, settled it in the fourth. And so, good game. Past that, Oregon is back on it again. They're doing well. You know, Bo Nix, as we say. I mean, he's... He's only good Bo Nix now. He's no he's only, longer. Yeah, he's only good spent, Bo Nix now, yeah. We spent so much time making fun of Bo Nix. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so many times. So much time over his whole career, both at Oregon and at Auburn, making fun of him. And I got to admit, he done good. He's come around. He done good. I no longer think that he would play tight end if he were black. <laughs> that was what no. I always thought when he was at Auburn, was that... He was yeah. only a quarterback because he were white. He was white, and his dad went to Auburn. But I was wrong. Bo Nix, Mia culpa. Not that you give a crap about me, but you are a good quarterback. <laughs> and also, I guess it took a, uh, guys. What? I'm gonna say the thing. Say, say the thing. 
This is the year. Bo Dix has improved so much under this new offense. He's focused. <laughs> he's having fun. I wouldn't be surprised if he's a dark horse for the highest. Thank you. <laughs> That's what I was trying to set up a moment ago, but nobody caught the pass. Like, <laughs> I said it. I was, you I didn't know you if you were spike. prompting me or not. I got scared. <laughs> no, I was, I was setting it. I was waiting for the spike and I was like, don't worry, I got it. <laughs> It'll be okay. <laughs> I'm we'll get sorry. there. Uh, no, it was good. Thank you for for following up. But no, like this Oregon Utah game. This is this is not a game where Utah just played poorly. This is a game where Oregon dominated Utah. Like if you're looking at the game on paper, just a few just a few highlights from this game. Total EPA for Oregon four point one three, um, which is not that high of an EPA. That's because Utah played the hell out of this game and still got dominated. Their total EPA for this game was negative 23.94. That's, in, that's unhinged, my dude. That's that unhinged. unhinged. Absolutely. Their offensive EPA, negative 27.99. Like, oh boy. Like, Dan Lanning has taken this Oregon team and made them into just an absolute wrecking machine in the Pac-12. And, you know, I, I think that his gutsiness as a coach because i i do believe that's the only reason why he lost to washington a few weeks ago was like he took a risk and sometimes take a risk and it doesn't pan out um he's very risky with his play calls on third and fourth down i think that he you know he's making the right calls and he's letting he's trusting his team like that's the thing and washington may very well have like they may very well have the heisman this year and michael penix jr and so we'll see what happens but um watching this utah team play against oregon like it makes me wonder if Washington will be able to do the same thing to Utah because that's the next team I'm going to talk to you about a little bit is, you know, Washington remains undefeated and they've got just four games left. Two of them look pretty solid for Washington to win, but um, they do have to play a tough game against USC and they also have to play a tough game against Utah, who is proving to have a pretty decent defensive game when they're allowed to have a defensive game and not when they're allowed Oregon. to play so, the game. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And Oregon did not let them play the game. Um, 35-6 Oregon and Utah. Um, but yeah, Washington looks great. They're still, you know, they're, they're on their way to definitely be on top of the Pac-12 by the season, the regular season that is. Um, another couple fun games. I'm going to talk very briefly because <laughs> by Georgia Tech is having the strangest season, let me just say, because they are up and down every game, uh, up one game, down one game. I think that by the math of the up and down this season, this should have been a down game. But even looking at like their game on paper, um, let me just find it real quick. The Georgia Tech-UNC game. Georgia Tech had no business winning this game. Um, I believe that quarter to quarter, it was like zero points, 22 points, zero points, 22 points. <laughs> what Georgia Tech ended up you know, pulling out of their butt. But um, looking down the team stats, they are above 90th percentile in just about every metric other than defensive stun rate stuff rate because you know what is defense that's not important when you're trying to to you know more point is good um have a great's pretty low but overall georgia tech has a total epa of 33.9 offensive epa 31.81 <laughs> like wh- what's going on over there you guys <laughs> they're really just things are happening and yeah. so I bring this up because we do still have to see them later. Um, and they are averaging around 10 to 15% of explosive plays on each game because it's either all or nothing. 
their their fuck it we ball mode right now is what Georgia Tech's up to. Um and they've got a, a mess of good players, a good good amount of talent. They don't have a whole lot of talent necessarily on the defensive side of the ball that's like meshing correctly, but offensively they're playing pretty well. Um but it, we'll see what happens when we play them in a couple weeks. But by by the football math, if this was an up game, they have four more games. So that means they're gonna have a down one, an up one, a down one, and a fourth one is an up one against Georgia. So we'll see mm-hmm. which Jekyll and Hyde, Georgia Tech, we get in a few weeks. I I have bad news for Georgia Tech vis-a-vis <laughs> what they have played in those up games and what they are about to play in those oh, up yeah. games. Although I will say, oh, yeah. if I recall correctly, I read this online that the games that they've been up on have been their even games, but their other mm-hmm. even game other than us, game 10, is against Clemson. And if they beat Clemson, I will, I might ascend into heaven. Like, Man, I, that might can I be, say that might be when I go pure energy state and just like evaporate. So Clemson is currently four and four. They mm, play yeah. for the rest of the season. They have Notre Dame, Georgia Tech, UNC and South Carolina. Mm. There is a significant like not insignificant, a statistically significant chance that Clemson does not become bowl eligible this season. Yep. And then. I will ascend with you, Nathan. <laughs> like I will join you. It, it's gonna be. It's gonna be like if the cults who thought that Jesus was come to take them home, or that there was a mm-hmm. an alien on a comet coming to get them. Like if that actually happens, when you just see yes. a selective part part of the college football fandom just disappear, it's gonna be because Clemson didn't go to a bowl game. In whose name, image, I'm and likeness is this program built now, Dabo? <laughs> maybe you should take the transfer portal to hell <laughs> i won't take the next one away from you yara colorado what is, what's the colorado news do you want to hit him with it yes ah colorado dear listeners put on some like celebratory music i don't really know guys what's your favorite celebratory song because i want y'all to put this shit on right now colorado <laughs> What happened? What did you do? You flopped. You're in your flop era. Congratulations. You're suffering. UCLA 28. Colorado 6 motherfucking teen. Oh Mm. my god. I'm, I have thought a lot, guys, about like, why I've, I've started to dislike Colorado. By all means, we at UGA don't really have like, historical or present beef with Colorado. And like all I know I about do. that Fuck state. That. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got beef personally Hooray. with Colorado. When they played at Georgia when I was in band, Ralphie the Buffalo almost ran my ass over. Colorado played pause. Everybody yeah, brought a whole pause. ass buffalo? <laughs> yeah. You guys didn't know oh that's my crazy God. talk. We no, played a home I and home with Colorado in the, I became a yeah, this what? is before you were born, I guess. Yeah. We played a home and home with Colorado in like 2008 and 2009 or something. And we lost the one over there, which was embarrassing because we wasted an amazing, amazing AJ Green catch. But we won the one that was with us. And uh, at the time, the Redcoats, the, the tunnel to go out onto the field was on the opposite end of where it was because that where the away locker rooms are now is where the home locker rooms were then. So they would come out of like, the side of the field opposite the bridge 
And when they came out, I was on that back line closest to the visiting team tunnel. And for some reason, they just ran that big fucking buffalo down the back sideline. <laughs> I felt the wind of its passage. And I knew what it was because I also heard its hooves. I thought I was going to die. So, yeah, I got beef with Colorado. I don't give yeah. a shit about Dion. Yeah. I want to fight that buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> Ralphie, your Very ass nice. is going to turn into a good bison burger. Everyone has a non-conference rival, I feel. Like not not every everyone when I say everyone I don't mean teams, I mean like everyone, every one of us. You must have a non-conference rival who you just you can't explain it, but you just don't like them. Something I got about to pet him. him later in the game. He was really soft. He had very soft fur. But <laughs> he always killed him me first. Down. So. I think you know, he uh, his fur may be soft. But it's on the it's on the inside that counts. Specifically, mm-hmm, bison mm-hmm. burger. Have y'all ever had bison? bison because it's actually oh, yeah. it's delicious. Bison jerky is yeah. also quite good. Ooh. You know, speaking of other teams that might not make a bowl, Colorado is one of those. They do have to play two more ranked opponents in Oregon State and Utah, um, and then they play uh, Washington State and Arizona. So we'll see what happens. They may they may very well end up six six, but I think that's more likely they end up five seven. Can I you just guys, want to point out on, that wait. this man, this man is a point guard. Oh. He just he beautifully segued that. He's just tossing the ball around. Anyway, mm. go ahead. Yes. <laughs> All right, everybody, including in, like everybody, everybody, close your eyes right now, unless you're listening to this on the road. Which like, please don't mm-hmm. close your eyes. Pay attention to the road. Just close your eyes like mentally. Okay, yeah. ready? In close spirit. your eyes. We're gonna have a manifestation mm-hmm. session. Colorado, ready? Like tap in. Colorado mm. will not be bowl eligible. Colorado, Colorado will, not, will not, eligible. not make it to a bowl. They're gonna be so Colorado five and seven. That's so sprinkle, five and seven. Sprinkle. I like that. Sprinkle, sprinkle. Thank you. Hey, so late breaking news. This happened just before Uh-oh. we started recording. It's not about Colorado. It's just another note about newsy stuff. And I thought that maybe you guys would like to hear this live. So I didn't even yeah. put the notes. This is this is like me. What's the word? This is like my prestige. It's like I couldn't be notable nemeses today because this isn't a preview episode. So this is what I prestige you. So mm-hmm. the Wall Street Journal reported Sunday night that Michigan rescinded its contract order offer to renew Jim Harbaugh's contract. Yes. Oof. And then this afternoon, <laughs> they asked him about it in the world's most awkward, most awkward press conference I've ever seen. When asked about it, Jim Harbaugh said, I wouldn't say that's accurate. No. And then wouldn't answer the rest of it. And then he said... I can talk about the football game this Saturday. I can talk the vi- about the vibes and that preparation and where that stands today. It doesn't seem like you're interested in that. That's what I can talk about. I wonder why you shirt-waisted, <laughs> pleat-waisted son of a... I wonder why nobody wants to talk about that. Harbaugh said he's trying to make a model a one-track mind for his team amid ongoing speculation about the NCAA's investigation into claims that Michigan staff members paid several individuals to attend games of future opponents. This is like the captain of the Titanic telling his crew to ignore the iceberg. It, mm-hmm. No, it's it's more than that. This is like the captain <laughs> of the Titanic running around cutting the 
the lines that attach the lifeboats to the iceberg so that no one notices that they've just run into the iceberg. He also denied any knowledge of the alleged cheating in a statement that he published after the allegations were made public saying, and then when asked about that at his conference, he said, you just have to let it play out and cooperate with the investigation and watch how it plays out. The speculation part, as I've said, I've got too much of one track of mind on coaching the team to engage on every piece of speculation. Really? Is that true? Archduke Fran Ferdinand says that he Franz Ferdinand says that he has too much of a one track mind about reports of assassination attempts by the Black Hand. What do you want from me? What do you what, what do you want from what do you want from me here? Dewey says he has too much of a one track mind to admit that Truman won the election. Like Jesus Christ, Jim Harbaugh, what are we doing here, my dude? Like. Lord Chamberlain says he has too much of a one-track mind to worry about some Austrian dictator in Germany in 1936. What kind of appeasement bullshit is this? All right. He, I I'm just done. Googled it. It looks like he is in the second year of a five-year deal with the Wolverines, meaning that, according to ESPN, let me cite my sources, meaning that his contract ends in 2026. Yes. You'll get there, yeah. Mm-hmm. 26. I'm a now, liberal arts major and I can do math. Thank you. Anything mm-hmm. fewer than a three or four year contract is not considered a contract by coaches because you have to be able to tell kids that you have a contract through the time that you've recruited him. So if you don't mm-hmm. have a four year contract, like if you have a two or a one year contract, that tells kids that you might be gone before they graduate when you're recruiting them, which is a problem. One more quote I want to give from this pretentious, sanctimonious jerk i'm trying to curse less (laughs) is that he said there's stuff we just can't talk about this is in reference to the ncaa investigation i'd love to i'm like you i'm in all of your positions but we've got to let it play out says ted bundy during his trial what do you want from me no i'm not like you you're the accused and i'm not i'm not like you (laughs) i didn't run a a a non-ethical spying plan ah god i hate this guy all right, I'm sorry. We need to talk about Florida. Get his ass. How were your weekends? <laughs> it was a good weekend. Uh, my my weekend, I I, uh, I was around Athens for work and got to set up our bookmobile for the Wild Rumpus early. Um, and so my my game day was right around noon. I had to set up the bookmobile because that's where we had to load in for the Wild Rumpus. And then watched all of you know the stages get set up and you know the they put these like uh cellophane wraps on all the uh the poles like the light poles uh which are like 30 feet up it's pretty crazy um that and like you know just getting everything turning otherworldly so then i sat down um there after everything was set up and under my tent and like watched the game on my ipad uh you know right there downtown right across from the morton theater um i'm also so i'll say I was watching the game there. I was going back and forth and watching other games and seeing other games finish um, as we were kind of hanging out because I had several hours where I was just not doing anything. Um, I'm also somebody who I will try most new Athenian restaurants at least once if given the chance. I sometimes won't go like way out of my way, but I will definitely, you know, if if I'm in the right place at the right time, I'm going to try a new place. For example, that's how I tried Taco Mama. I will say oh, I will God. not be trying Taco Mama again, <laughs> uh, but right place, right time. However, I was set up across the Morton Theater, which is right next to, I think, some place that used to be called the library or the lounge or the office or something stupid. 
Um, and it was replaced by something equally, uh, named something equally stupid, the Chiba Hut, which is just, <laughs> it is a weed-themed sandwich place. It's called the Chiba Hut Toasted Subs. And even in the name, I think it has quotes around toasted to like really sell it for you, to make sure you know this is about weed. We are a cool place. It just, it, it very much is giving me like, I'm not a cool, I'm not a regular mom. I'm like a cool mom kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. However, I not only ate one sandwich from the Chiba Hut on Saturday, or Saturday, I ate two sandwiches from the Chiba Hut on Saturday. <laughs> and I drank wow. a gallon of Kool-Aid. I will be nice. returning to the Chiba Hut. I do not remember which sandwich I got, but it had something to do with weed because they all have something to do with weed. They also have uh, Rice Krispie treats the size of your head. But it's like, mm. I think it makes sense. The more I thought about it, like the theming was really silly and dumb, I felt. But who else would you want your chef to be than somebody who is like really dead set on making some yummy, yummy shit? Like, I want stoners to make my food. Like, <laughs> that's exactly yeah, what I want. No, you're right. Absolutely, you do. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the rest of the night for me was uh, Wild Rumpus. I was there with Bookmobile. We gave away a little under 500 books to folks visiting the Bookmobile. Oh, wow. And I high fived a bunch of people in cool costumes because we were right there at the entrance to where the parade like entered into the, the party area. So it's a great time. But nice. y'all, uh, what do y'all think? What, what did you get up to? Yeah, Yara, tell us. How um, was your weekend? Okay. It was really good. So my sister came up and visited, which was really sweet. I'm the oldest of four. So it was really sweet that she got to come over. Um, we we went to Mama's Boy. I tried to show her like everything about Athens because she's a junior right now, and I'm trying to convince her to come to UGA. I want all my I want all my siblings to go to UGA. I already got my brother in. I want my sister to come, and I want my other sister nice. to come. Oh yeah. So I showed her everything. I showed her Mama's Boy. I walked her around campus. I showed her the fountain. The fountain is my favorite place of campus. Um, but then we went, that was Friday, I think. And Saturday we got ready to go to the game and I just let her have free reign over my closet, like dress up silly, do whatever you want. And I dressed up as a race car driver and I'm putting that in quotes (laughs) because I did the college student thing where like you throw together a pretty skimpy outfit and like, make no mistake, things were covered because I'm with my sister, but like. We, we did a fair compromise, and I had, like, a little belt that looked like a checkered flag, and I had my Love Porsche it. Motorsport hat on, so I was a race car driver, in spirit. Um, but then mm-hmm. we went to Creature Comforts with Kaylee, and that was really fun. We just, we went and watched the game, and guys, oh my god, this grinded my gears. There was a Florida fan, like, to the right of me, that had Colorado, like, merchandise on as in the university of colorado and i don't think i've ever hated somebody so hate is a strong word i don't think i've ever disliked somebody more in my entire life like just the presence was ugh. and he was doing the whole gator chomp thing i really didn't like it so then i barked at him whenever we scored touchdowns and it was sensational he was also really hot but that's like besides the point so yeah, midway through the third quarter yeah. You're trying to get it's that like enemies en- to lovers fic going on. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yup. Yes, sir. So mid third quarter, I was wearing like a corset and it got really, really uncomfortable. So I, we all decided to go home and get a little like break on before wild rumpus. Also, cause my sister is a baby. I don't want her to get overwhelmed. So we took a break. 
I made her some food. I made Kaylee some food. We all ate and hung out and chilled. And then we got ready to go. And I changed my outfit. I was wearing my Bucky's onesie. Y'all, one thing about me, <laughs> I love Bucky's. I love Bucky's so much. I have so much Bucky's merchandise. Uh, specifically this Bucky's onesie. And I have some pictures of it on our show notes, which you can access for as little as $5 a month on patreon.com forward slash Chapo Bell Curve. Boom. Ugh, there it Tell is. Them. Tell them. <laughs> and then we went back out. Kaylee went to go hang out with some friends. And my sister and I went and wild rumpused our hearts out. We danced and it was great. Um, after that, we ended up going to World Famous. Wow. And... I got her like a burger and stuff and she thought it was great, which I'm really happy she did. This whole time she was visiting, she just really wanted a burger. My sister's all about food. She's a big foodie, which valid is fuck. Oh, yeah. So I tried to show her all like the cool food places around Athens and she just really fucked with this burger. And I was like, okay, nice. It's a great burger. This is good, you know? Mm-hmm. Then we went home around midnight. We it was It was a pretty early night, all things considered. And yeah, that yeah. was my weekend. How about you, Nathan? Well, I went to the game, obviously. Hooray! So I had a pretty wild time. Samantha came with me for the first time since, I believe, 2019, which I was so excited about. On the way down, we had our baby's first Bucky visit in the St. Augustine Bucky's. Samantha had never been to Bucky's before. And the first time we went, we just sort of like checked it out and we got some food. We got a little lunch before we went into St. Augustine. And then we planned our attack for what would become our Bacchanalia when we were on the way home. <laughs> so when we went to the game, I think that through a series of iterative designs, by which I mean we have messed up and then fixed things over the years, we've made the game experience for Redcoats a lot better and safer. Just the getting into and out of the game for the Redcoat experience is a lot better. When I was in band, we had to like walk through the whole parking lot and we had to be we were basically constantly harassed by Florida fans who were idiots and tailgating or whatever. And so we've kind of figured out how to make it so that the Redcoats unload, load, play their stuff in the all in the security perimeter of the stadium, which is nice. Now, there is like one weird thing where we have to cross across the main concourse of the stadium and we have to like hold up traffic for like 10 or 15 minutes while we move. And that's really kind of iffy because you're walking through like a parted red sea of really drunk people. But other than that, everything's great. And so that I'm off topic already. But as for the actual <laughs> game experience itself, before the game, we warmed up and we brought back an old tradition. Apparently in the 90s, as late as the 90s, the band would do a pregame practice like the night before or maybe the morning of the game in the stadium. And one of the things they would do is they would play through their show and they would play songs on kazoos and they called it the kazoo band. So we brought that back. The alumni bought us like 500 kazoos and then the Redcoats played on kazoos their whole show and also some stands tunes and that was really cute. We went to the game and it was one of those games where I felt really bad because one of Sam's, very valid complaints in the past has been that I'm not always a good communicator on game day. And so I'll say, oh, yeah, I'm going to be with you the whole time. And then I just disappear because I have something to do on game day. And Sam's like, what am I supposed to do? Where am I? I did a better job of that, but I felt really bad because I told her that I wasn't going to have to go anywhere. And then as soon as we got into the stadium, 
Brett comes up to me and he's like, hey, I have something I need you to do that's going to take you basically <laughs> all of pregame and then most of the second quarter. But it was okay because it was a really, really cool experience. So our longtime announcer, the voice of the Redcoat Band, Tom Wallace, he's been doing it for like 40 years. He was on a family trip and was not here this weekend. So on Thursday, Brett asked the band if anybody was felt so motivated or felt like they had the skills or the desire to do the PA announcing. And I instantly suggested the sousaphone, Matthew Walker, who has just a stereotypical radio voice. He just sounds like a sports broadcaster. He can just do it off the cuff. I've heard him do it so many times. He's really good at it. So Matthew officially finds out he's doing the PA announcing for the Redcoats in front of like 80,000 people the day before it happens. They give him the script officially on Friday. So this dude, okay, so first let me talk about the experience and we talk about what Matthew did. So we go up and we're trying to find the press box and we can't find it and we finally find it. So we go into the press box and it is a different world. And I know not not all press boxes like are like this. In fact, I've been to Sanford's press box, which is not sealed like this, but the Everbig Field press box is first of all, like completely soundproofed. It, you can hear like a pin mm-hmm. drop in there. It is like that's weird. You cannot, you can't. Not only can you not hear crowd noise, you can't hear like the ambient outside stadium noises. It is like being inside of a well insulated house. So that's kind of wild. The second thing that was wild is that it's very quiet because people are working, right? But the wild part is that during the play, as the play comes on, a guy comes over the press box PA and says who's involved with the play. So like if they hand the ball off. While the guy has the ball carrier, someone will come over the PA and say, that carries by Dejon Edwards, number 30, uh, passed off or handed to him by Carson Beck. And it happens in the middle of play every time. And then they have TVs everywhere, but the TVs are synced to be like one to three plays behind. And there's like a TV that's one play behind and a TV that's two plays behind and a TV that's three plays behind. And like they, so that you can look up and see what just happened if you were typing something out. They also have this like really elaborate game day sort of depth chart that has just a bunch of like biographical information and like background information that was really cool. So we sat up there for a while and we got to talking with the PA guy for Florida's band who was really nice. His name was Jerry. Shout out Jerry. He did a really good job of showing us around. So we finally, we go to the PA booth and this is when I had my longest standing conspiracy theory proven. It is no longer a conspiracy theory. I know it's true. I've always thought that the guy who is the PA announcer at Everbank is a Florida fan because he does this thing when Florida gets a first down where he's like, that's a first down for the Gators. But then when Georgia gets a first down, he's just like first down Georgia. He sounds like disappointed. (laughs) And I always thought that he was a Florida fan. And then I walked in and right as I walked in, this was at the end of the second quarter when they were driving and they got a little traction going, Florida did. And they threw it to the corner, and I think Jalen Everett defended a pass, and there was a no call on a pass interference. And this dude is just like, he's like, that's a horrible play. What a horrible no call. You're just letting him, you're letting him hang on to him, ref. And I was like, oh my god, it was it was like seeing the guy on the grassy knoll. It was like confirming who shot JFK. <laughs> it was wild. I was like, I was I felt like I was in an Oliver Stone movie. I was just like, oh my god, I knew it. I knew it. I thought this. Since the first game I went to at Georgia, Florida in 2006, I was like, that dude (laughs) is a Florida fan. And I looked it up and it's in the same PA announcer for like 15 years. And now I know for sure. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. 
That's fine that he's a Florida fan. I just tinfoil proven. no more. But then tinfoil. Ah, they all laughed at me. There are dozens of us. Anyway, so <laughs> Matthew, I was getting increasingly worried because Matthew had never done this before, and he was kind of like getting some. Jerry was really nice to him and helped him sort of figure stuff out. And we went in the the went in the box, and it's crazy because like the PA box is separate from the control booth, where the control booth is like fully sound insulated, and the PA box is like intentionally not. And it also has like a live ambient mic for the outside, so that you can hear yourself talk. And there's like a switch, like an old school like. Uh, like two position switch in front of you, like one of those metal switches on a box on like a little stand and you hit the switch. And when it's open, you are live on the most sensitive mic you've ever touched on an 80,000 person stadium. And when you hit it closed, it's off. And I'm like, Matthew, are you okay? Like, how are you feeling? And he goes, yeah, I'm fine. I'm like, okay, well maybe he's just nervous and he's hiding it. And I'm like, are you sure you're okay? And he's like, yeah. Hey, can you record this for my parents? And I'm like, yeah, I guess. And he's like, all right, cool. The band gets out there. He's like, all right, are we ready? Are you recording? I was like, yeah. And then he just smacks the switch and he's like, keep your seats, everyone. The Redcoats are coming. And he does it perfectly (laughs) on the first try. He found out about this less than 24 hours before. Matthew Walker, you've got giant brass ones, dude. I'll say that publicly. I think his dad is a listener because of a story that I'm about to tell. I suspect that his dad is a listener. So if you're Matthew Walker's dad, you raised a fine man. He's, He's got nerves of steel. He, I was so proud of him. He did a great job. So then we're on the way down, and we get onto the the sort of like VIP, well not VIP, but like the press elevator that goes all the way down to the main sort of VIP lobby of Everbank. And as we're walking up, this old man limps beside me, right? And I look down because he's pretty <laughs> short, and it's and it's freaking Steve Spurrier, like. Former Florida coach, Heisman winner, Steve Spurrier. <laughs> he gets into he gets into There's the a elevator. Scowl on his face. No, no, no. He was happy. He was just like chatting it up. That's okay, good. He gets he gets into the elevator and he stops like halfway in and he looks back and his wife is coming up, I guess, behind him. And he just is like, Jerry. No, because and at this point I didn't know he was Steve Spurrier until he turned around and looked through me and said Jerry, and and then his wife's like yeah and he's like come on let's go and so we get into the elevator and it's me and like a guy with a beverage cart Matthew and in his red coat uniform Steve Spurrier and his wife so Steve Spurrier rather is immediately behind Matthew and Matthew's facing away from him Matthew clearly doesn't know who he is which is hilarious so. Spurrier sees Matthew's uniform and just starts whistling glory. Just like free association starts whistling glory. And then I'm like, I smile at him and kind of nod at him. And then for the next three minutes of this elevator ride, this man just quips every two seconds. He makes a joke. He just starts (laughs) talking about how we did a good job and how the band sounds good and how we're a really well-coached team and how Will Muschamp and Coach Bobo have gotten to be really better coaches than they were last time that they were here, which, by the way, that's a dig because he beat both of them when he was at South Carolina and at Florida. He also beat (laughs) both of them when they played at Georgia, right? So, like, those quips are coming, and he's like, I got to hand it to you. You guys got a really good team. Now he's talking to us like we're part of the team, and so my head is, like, spinning. Matthew still doesn't know who this crazy old man is. And I want to be clear that Steve Spurrier makes me sound like I talk slow. 
he's just like bam 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 whistly dixie or whistling glory then he goes immediately into talking about how good a team were coached and then he like basically says that matthew's a biggin he's like hey good looking kid you know why are you in band and i was like what is going on right now so we get <laughs> off of the elevator and my head is like i'm like totally overloaded but i'm like i gotta get a picture with this guy or i'm gonna really regret it so i'm like hey coach spurrier can we get a picture together so Matthew's going to take my picture. And I'm like, no, 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 get in the picture. And then, yeah, Spurrier's like, yeah, come here, son. And I get my thing, my selfie camera up, and I hold it up. And he goes, to the victors go the pictures. Keep in mind, this is at halftime, right? And then this man <laughs> just walks out of the stadium like a druid. He clearly needs a hip replacement. He's got a hitch in his giddy up for sure. But he just like evanesces. He like grabs his wife's hand and then not like walks to some private suburban waiting for him. Walks out of the main gate of Everbank Field and I guess just goes to a barbecue in Jacksonville somewhere never to be seen again. He is apparently too old to wait through the second half. And I respect that because he's, you know, he's an older man. So anyway, I want to hate Steve Spurrier so bad. But he was really nice to me the one time I met him, and he seems like a cool guy. So I guess I don't hate him anymore. I'm sorry. That's he's what a time. Yeah. Nice. And then I went to Bucky's and spent two hundred dollars. You met your rivals, (laughs) (laughs) as one does. Yeah, as one does. But truly, I will just say uh, a tale. Never meet your heroes, but always meet your villains. That's that's what I'm learning. Because the heroes that's aren't as true. good as like, you what think. You, what are you going to lose but your villains like meeting your villains? bad. Yeah. So that was my day. Bye. Are you guys okay. ready to do some quantitative? I am. Yes. Let's talk about these numbers, Nathan. Bring us, bring us in. So, obviously, this was a butt kicking. And I think that by pretty much any quantitative measure that you can find... That it was a butt kicking, but there are some things I think that this game told us about the team that Georgia is and the team that they can become. And I want to take this moment before we get into this analysis, and I want to briefly talk about stats because there was a little bit of a kerfuffle earlier today as we record this. Today is Monday, November 30th. We had our first two moments of actual Twitter drama today on the CBC Twitter thing. <laughs> now, one of them was caused because I said that, you know, we shouldn't be homophobes and Georgia fans, and apparently people hated that. But the other one was just a normal misunderstanding from a fan of the podcast and former and another sort of Georgia media member. So we maintain two metrics here, okay? One metric that we maintain is called CBCR2. CBCR2 is a power rating based on SRS. It is a measure of what a team has accomplished against the schedule that it has adjusted for the schedule. So it is inherently backwards looking. I would hesitate to call it a resume rating because I don't think it's like intentionally trying to measure strength of schedule or resume, but it is a power ranking that is backwards facing. Now, we do derive from this the average points that that a team would score against and and give up to an average power five football team or an average actually FBS football team. But we don't really use it for predicting games unless we have to. And it's not effective against the spread, which is what our other thing is used for. Currently CBCR two has us ranked 17th. We do not think I, d- I don't want to put any 
words in Ra Ross's mouth, but I'm pretty sure that Ross Rutledge, the guy who is our kind of stats division leader, does not think that we are the 17th best team in the nation. He does not think that we're, that we're worse than Kansas State. But what he no. does think is that what we have achieved against the schedule that we have to this point in the season is worse than what Kansas State has achieved. It has gotten better. We're up from like 21st. And we think, and I think everybody thinks, that given the amount of talent on this team and given the injury situation on this team, that we are only going to get better. Our average CBCR2 rating, which is like our net points for and against derived from this method, is 16. Most playoff team or most national championship teams in the national championship era, starting in like at the birth of college football playoff, have been around 20. We fully can get to that 20 number. CBCR2 is not a predictor, it is a backwards facing metric. Now, that is separate from Sam. CBCR2 uses what we know about college football to determine what stats should be in there, how they should be weighted, etc. And there's a little bit more of a human influence on it. Sam is a machine learning algorithm, or it's derived, pulled out of a machine learning algorithm that basically took a hundred factors, including stuff like humidity, temperature, elevation, barometric pressure, all sorts of stuff, and ranks those by how important they are to winning the game. It is a much more advanced metric, and it is very good at predicting the outcome of the game against the spread. It is also pretty good at, at predicting the total outcome of the game. Now, it is not as good as some other metrics at accurately predicting the score of the game, but it is still pretty good at it. It is very good at predicting who is going to beat the spread and who is not. Those are two different things. SAM is forward-facing. CBCR2 is backwards-facing. We don't think anyone here does not think that UGA is the 17th best team in the nation. But we can also say that UGA did spend the first five games of the season futzing around with inferior opponents. They've had two yeah. good games over the past two games. And it's good to say that, and their numbers have reflected that. But I don't want anybody to think that we think that UGA is bad. When we have pumped the brakes on UGA or said, hey, we might be on upset alert, we've said that because what we see in UGA's past performance is concerning versus what we know is their talent and their the, the height of how well they can produce. For the record, not to tip our hand on when we're going to record our preview, but CBCR2 has the Missouri game as like a 16-point UGA win. Or sorry, not CBCR2. Sam has the Missouri game as a 16-point UGA win. CBCR2 has it as like a two-point UGA win. As I have said, we think Sam <laughs> is more accurate for forward-facing for forward-facing predictions. But if we're looking backwards, UGA has only produced at about two points on average better than Missouri has this year. That doesn't mean they're only two points better than Missouri. It doesn't mean they're only going to beat Missouri by two points. It's just what has their total production done over the year versus the opponents they have adjusted for opponents. And now I'm going to stop and we can talk about the Florida game. And I wanted to include right. that before I gave you stats because this was a very good, very, very good statistical performance from UGA. Probably their second best of the year after the game against Kentucky. Defensively, a 53% stop rate, 53% of... Florida's uh, 
possessions it did on either a punt or a turnover on downs, which is only okay. But we did have a 20% stop rate margin, which is very good in terms of the flow of the game. We were outperformed defensively and offensively in the 40 plus yard line, the maroon zone. We had a lower points per opportunity than Florida, but we also had way way more opportunities inside of the 40. We did a pretty good job in limiting Florida on full field drives, particularly in the second and third quarter. So when it mattered, Florida wasn't really getting it across the 50, but when they did, they did a better job of us of scoring points. Offensively, I'm, I just want to pause and we Brock Bowers is gone and obviously we care about that. But I think it's time to talk about how Carson Beck is a top five, top 10 in the nation quarterback. He's the guy. We have to reckon with that. We have to reckon with that. I'm going to give you a bunch of stats and he is good in basically all of them. So not only was Carson Beck very good against Florida, also nationally, he has been very good all year and basically by any metric that you want to give him. So if you want to do counting stats, he's currently ninth nationally in passing yards. He's 10th in yards per attempt, and he's seventh in completion percentage nationally. Well, you might be thinking, oh, well, Nathan, those are kind of old school stats. Well, son, do I have more for you? Uh, in gen- do I have more for you? So <laughs> if you look at the Please, offensive father. ratings from PFF premium stats, he's currently ninth. And you might be thinking, well, PFF grades subjectively, what does that really tell you? Cool. If you look at adjusted completion percentage on the year, he's currently fourth. If you look at overall uh, completion percentage adjusted for garbage time, he's currently fifth. If we look at his turnover worthy plays in terms of like who has the lowest percentage of plays that should end in a turnover, Carson Beck is currently percentage of turnover worthy plays. He's currently seventh. If we look at his QB rating as the NFL reckons it, he is currently 11th. He is, by pretty much any metric, a top 15 quarterback. And I think on the whole, he is this year a top 10 quarterback in the nation. He is a quarterback that is talented enough to win you a national title as part as a key cog of the machine. He is a quarterback that we, as we also saw, is talented enough to take a game over without his best pass catcher by far. He threw for 315 yards, two touchdowns and no interceptions. He didn't even really look bothered the whole day. He had a couple of really great NFL-level throws, and he was just flicking the ball all over the place. I I don't have anything else good to say about anything else to say about him. He had 11.25 yards per drop back, which is in the 97th percentile. He's great. You yeah. need to appreciate him. He is, at this point in his career, I am not saying he's better than Stetson Bennett. But if you look at where Stetson Bennett was eight games into being a starter and you look at where Carson Beck was eight games into being a starter, I think that he's better at this point. Now, he was helped on Saturday by our offensive line deciding to be good again. Our, uh, of our five highest rated players on PFF offensively overall, four of them were offensive linemen and the fifth was Carson Beck. But the four offensive linemen were in order great, uh, Ernest Green, Cedric Van Pran Jr., Tate Rattledge, and Xavier Truss. They are significantly better at pass blocking than they are at run blocking at this point, but they've gotten better at run blocking, and they are elite now in pass blocking. Of the five starters 
on the offensive line that played most of the snaps, four of them had had above an 80 grade in, in pass blocking, which is just very, very good. They're keeping him upright. They're keeping him from getting pressured. They're giving him a clean pocket. And even when they don't, they're hanging on just long enough for him to get the ball out. I don't know what else there is to say. I, this was a total domination statistically. It was never really a game that was in doubt after the first drive by Florida. As soon as Florida got off book and they didn't have their sort of best plan and we made some adjustments, this game was really good. I will say the one sort of statistical blemish I think is that I didn't, I think Jalen Everett got a touch exposed. He was really getting killed on inside routes in in particular, most obviously slants, but he was just kind of out, out of position on in-breaking routes all day. That's a technical thing that I think Kirby can fix, but it's just something to keep an eye on. Jalen Everett really struggled at the beginning of the year in deep routes and just getting out of phase with guys that were running past him. And he seems to have cleaned that up, but he was kind of getting hurt in short area quickness. He is a five-star like top rated player. I actually think he was a four star, but he's a very highly rated player. So I think he has the talent to fix things like that, but it's just something that we are about to play a team that can really, really, really exploit that. So Yara, Justin, you guys watched it from the TV and I did not. Do you have any observations from a couch watch of this game? Admittedly minimal notes for this game, just because I was like, with my sister and making sure anybody who looked at her in a remotely wrong, like, what I perceived (laughs) to be a wrong way got a death glare. So, that's my bad. But, like, I just, I got that dog in me and I'm gonna protect my sister. That's my, that's my G. But, Mm -hmm. from what I saw, our receiving room ate and left no crumbs, which was, like, we needed them to do with the absence, um, on the field at least of Brock Bowers. I think we're we're going to be okay. And Oh yeah. I'm not going to say anything about the word that starts with T and rhymes with PP, <laughs> but you got it. I yeah. I still believe. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe I I still have a little call me delusional, call me crazy. I know I'm delulu. But I still believe, and that's a little, I know that's a little silly, and I know that I'm a little optimistic and still new to enjoying Georgia sports, but I'm, I still believe. Yeah. Someone's especially, gotta, Someone yeah. needs to. Especially after this it, game. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Um, I think that the second quarter was one of my favorite quarters of any college football game I've ever seen. I think that that second quarter should be hung in the Louvre. Um, if we're looking at game on paper, there are some really neat sections that we have, we don't talk about a lot, but whenever a game, whenever the eye test indicates to me at least that a game was really exciting, I go to these two sections. There's two, one of them is called big plays. The other is most important plays. Big plays are plays where there was a big swing in absolute epa for either of the teams like it is the the list of the plays where there was the most uh uh you know change there um most important plays is determined by absolute win percentage added so that'll be the same thing but with how how big of a swing did you go in either direction um there were not a lot of plays where there was a like a negative win percentage added um for both of these teams i will say 
both of them had everything listed here. They're all in the green, meaning both teams had positive win percentage added across the board for each of these plays. However, the only plays with a, a statistically significant amount of win percentage added for Florida occurred in the first quarter of this game. <laughs> The rest of the game was all Georgia. Um, but if you're looking, as I said, the second quarter should be hung in the Louvre. All of the big plays, the ones that are determined by absolute EPA, um, there is a mix of green and red, meaning there are several Florida plays where they had big negative EPA adjustments, um, all of those occurring in the second quarter. The Trevor Etienne run for a loss of three yards, the Florida 31. Um, there was that one, the fourth and one that you know uh it did not work out for them there was the second and 19 on the 4016 where graham Mertz got sacked uh, for a loss of five they fumbled recovered by us um in the second there was the dejan run, uh, edwards run for 20 yards as uh, also while we're talking about dejan edwards the man looked nonplussed all day like absolutely not stressed out i think that every play that he scored on that i can remember it was just uh and i'm here in in the end zone you know it was just a it was a beautifully constructed play he didn't have to work that hard when he got to the end zone um he worked hard in other ways all day but man oh man just beautifully beautifully run game i think from start to finish really on the, for this team uh, very happy about it yeah i agree with dejon edwards in particular i think i've talked about this a lot with my home game game watching buddy john Motes. shout out john but I think that Dejon Edwards, and he does as well, just has a really underrated style of running. He is a sort of a – his economy of motion is what I really like about him, his economy of movement. He doesn't make too many cuts. He doesn't dance around. He moves the smallest amount possible in order to get out of the way to the defender, and he stays low to the ground. So he's just really hard to tackle, and – I, I think that he's finally getting his, his moment to shine, and he's really, really good. A really lightly recruited guy from Douglas County, by the way, uh, who we I think mm -hmm. is another good developmental prospect. Uh, Lad McConkey, I mean, you said that our wide receiver uh, room eight. If if our wide receiver room eight, Lad McConkey gorged. The thing that I like about Lad McConkey is Gross. that it's easy <laughs> to see him as just like a white guy wide receiver, but he is fast. He is legitimately fast, and he is a mechanic of a route runner. He is he is such a good route runner. He just he everything is crisp, everything cuts like so neatly, and he knows how to reverse field. He's got really good short area quickness. He is more than just your like I don't know insert random white guy possession receiver here receiver. He is more than Chris Durham, mm -hmm. who I loved when he was here. But I think Ladd McConkey is, is an actual vertical weapon. He obviously can make people miss. He can throw people out. He can break ankles. He is a really, really good player. And I think that we don't rate him high enough. I'm a touch. Okay. I don't know how to say this. On the one hand, the defense looked as good as it's looked all year. On the other hand, it didn't matter but I still am a touch like eh, about Jamon Dumas Johnson at times, particularly in run fitting. I just think when he comes downhill, sometimes he guesses wrong. I don't know if that is a schematic thing. I don't know if that's a reaction time thing or a processing thing. And maybe it's just that my eye is bad. Maybe he's doing really good. It's just that 
Mm-hmm. There are just times, and a lot of times that they had chunk runs, it was because either he or Smile Munden were in the wrong place. Smile Munden has the athleticism to sometimes make up for that, and Dumas Johnson does not. I think he's a really good player, but he is a guy that I feel like, aside from Jalen Everett, is the dude that you would target if you were an opposing team. I... Mm-hmm. I'm a little concerned that that's going to cost us in the long run, but that is the only sort of even slightly ominous thing I have to say. It was a good game. Things are as they should be. And let's not take it for granted because clearly Kirby Smart doesn't. He was there in 95 and 96. He was there when Spurrier hung half a hundred on Georgia in Sanford just because nobody else had done it. He's He hates this team as much as any of us. And I don't think we should take for granted the fact that he – obviously 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 does not shy away from the fact that he wants to beat this team it is not just another week for him when you saw him celebrate on the sideline and go around and high five fans and wave his hat way more than he does for any other game you can tell that the dude is he is committed to beating florida and i think we should appreciate about that that about him do you guys have anything else before we get out of here i don't think so it was just a great game i mean Mm -hmm. As you said, the the defense showed up as as well as they've shown up all year. I think um, somebody in our, our Discord said, you know, I think that they said unpopular opinion, but I think that the defense is not nearly as fun as they, they have been in past years this year. And then the defense showed up, and it was a fantastic defensive game that was a lot mm-hmm. of fun to watch. And so I'm looking forward to seeing what else this defense can do yeah. um, because I feel like it's still getting – like our offense – I feel like we we more or less know this offensive identity at this point. Um, the defense is not far off from knowing its identity as well. And I'm excited to see what they come up with, you know, to really firm it up. Yeah, me too. Anything else, Yara? Um, I mean, same thing as y'all. Also, shout out Douglas County. I went to high school. There. <laughs> Rah! I don't know that Dejon Edwards Hell went yeah. to Douglas County. I know he is from Douglas County. I don't want anyone – I don't want there to be any crosstown rivalry yelling. I, I don't know what the teams are in Douglas County who, where he could have possibly Fair enough. gone. Give me one there second and I'll five. tell you. There are five. Yes, uh, there's five. I went to Chapel Hill High School. Go fucking Panthers, baby. Oh, no. I was wrong. I was wrong. He went to Colquitt County. My bad. Oh, word. Colquitt. Colquitt yeah. County is how it's pronounced. Colquitt County. I have lived Colquitt in Georgia County. my entire life, and I did not know how a county in South Georgia was pronounced. There are too many counties in Georgia. Yeah, I think he's from Moultrie. Entirely right? too many. That's what's in Colquitt oh, County. I know where that is. Yeah, Moultrie. South, Moultrie High South School, Georgia. I Colquitt County High School. He, yeah, Moultrie Col- and, yeah. Colquitt, uh, Colquitt County High School. It's between, a Colquitt guy. Val- it's between Valdosta and Tifton, I believe. Somewhere over there it's a to the boring, left. Of boring drive. Yeah. It's near Cairo and Bainbridge, I think. And and my favorite mm-hmm. name of town in the state, which is Quitman. What are you doing, man? <laughs> Quit Quitman. Quit man. Quitman. Anyway. Anyway, I'm done. You guys ready to outro this bad boy? Let's get out of yes. here. All right. This has been Chapel Bell Curve. If you like what we heard here today, 
We would love it if you gave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are found. If you'd like to support us even more than with your good vibes, we would love if you join us over at Patreon at patreon.com forward slash chapel bell curve. As little as $1 a month gets you access to our Discord, which is an amazing community of like-minded fans to yourself. More money unlocks more privileges, including our unedited show feeds, show notes, stats, and even up to just purchasing a segment for yourself. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can find us on all social media at Chapel Bell Curve and hit us up in the DMs there. We'd love a follow or an engagement there as well. You can also send us the most old school way to talk to us, which is on email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. I suppose an even more old school way would be to identify one of us on game day and hand us a message or talk to us or like Morris code tap in our hands or something. I don't know. But having said all of that, we will catch you this weekend in the classic city for a big game, a homecoming game. We will see you hopefully on Friday where we will be attending, but not part of the panel of the home field apparel event at hotel Indigo in Athens. <laughs> and until then, go dogs. Go dogs. <laughs>